bad i can always always miss the where the play button is in the mix because it's kind of down and away from all the other controls on the track this is pure decking for uh friday november the 14th 2014 this is the show about stuff that interests me like our current police state uh information security and figuring out just where the hell the ground loop is coming from uh it's the firewire channel i'm just gonna let you guys know that i'm morps and tonight i have with me madman bsv and big brother Gentlemen, I'm drinking Four Roses Single Barrel, and just finished off some gummy bears. What are you drinking? Four Roses Single Barrel! Are you really? <laughs> yes! Nice! <laughs> Get out of my head! No, it's nice and cozy. It, it's... <laughs> Enjoying the porn collection. <laughs> <laughs> Woodford Reserve, small batch, on the rocks. Very nice. BSV, you better have a good bourbon. I'm sorry, I just have Angry Orchard again. We are disappointed. Angry, Angry Orchard. Angry Orchard. Oh. I'm sorry, you should have let me know ahead of time it was bourbon. I, at this point, <laughs> we just assumed everyone had gone to hard liquor. Yeah. <laughs> I could what? go get rum if you want. <laughs> it's just not the same, man. <laughs> Just not the same. Oh, well, at least you're drinking a decent beer. Anyways, um, so a little bit of station news. I have been toying with the idea of producing not a fuckwit t-shirts after the last episode. Um, I, I did find a... Uh, they're going to get on me because I called Angry Orchard a beer. It's a <laughs> liquor. Uh, yeah, okay. Hard cider. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long day, guys. I'm just going to point this out. <laughs> But uh, you are right, it is not a beer. But um, anyways, um, back to the uh, show news here. Uh, we're, we're playing around with the idea of putting up a store. I, had, I found a provider. It's not Cafe Press, but it kind of works like them, you know, print on demand. So there's not really any work on our part other than designing the silly things. That also means they'll probably be a little overpriced, uh, like $25 range kind of thing. But uh I figure we have some fun with it. If we sell like one, we'd be doing awesome. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm I'm just playing with the idea. We're throwing it around. I don't know. Does anybody even care? <laughs> yes, I would buy not a fuckwit t-shirt, and I think I've got a design for another shirt. Oh, cool. Well, maybe we should uh, explore this a little bit more then, because I'm setting the margins on, on. I was playing with it, trying to figure out what pricing would be, and I was setting the margins. Uh, actually fairly damned low because if we made uh, what server costs a month it's like $10 for the stream if we made 30 bucks a month we'd be more than breaking even actually so I think it's like $2 a shirt so that's actually a lot of shirts you mean um, we would not be in the red yeah <laughs> well if you don't count the, the what five years I've been running the stream out of my own pocket uh, well that's not true uh I actually got some uh, quite a bit of help with that uh, 
you know, from you guys over, over the time we've been doing this. So I can't say it's my own pocket, but we've been doing it out of pocket. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it would just be, I mean, goofy shit, right? We, mm-hmm. Ooh, we could cut up the boob for a video into t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where half those pictures came from. We'll just put a picture of Madman said boop fur right below it. How about that? Picture of Madman's ass. Yeah, where did it go? Um, on a cell phone. Um, Although I think you deleted that big. <laughs> Very quickly. I destroyed I, the cell you phone. Know, I couldn't remember. I'm going to go hang out with Madman and Laser and a few other this weekend, so uh, we could recreate it if it really became necessary. No. <laughs> But I think I still have your phone number. I hope you don't. (laughs) That's okay. I do. (laughs) As Big gets rid of his phone. Cycros, I hate to I hate to disappoint you. I haven't actually brewed hardly any beer this year. That batch I we did Madman right at the beginning of the year before I moved. That's last one. That's all. That was the last one I've done. It did turn out pretty well. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I've got one bottle of it left, so I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it, but I have it. Um, uh, I was assume drink with it. Yeah, probably well, drink it. Obviously, I'm not sure when I'm going to to consume it. So, anyways, um, so let's see. Go ahead and move on to discussion here. We'll probably go through this topic fairly quickly, but it's it's based on a conversation I had with some family a little while back, as well as a Ars Technica article I saw, which was just fucking hilarious. Um, I don't believe security on the internet will ever actually be fixed. I really don't. Like everybody thinks, oh, we'll eventually get there. Nah, no, nah, it's never going to be. It's going to be hackers' paradise uh, forever, pretty much. I, I don't think it'll ever be fixed. Uh, for for one very very important reason, computers do not have any good way to recognize users, right? They really don't. They have no fucking clue who's sitting in front of them typing. Um, they have a login to go by. Some are a little bit smarter. They can work off your fingerprint, or maybe they do the face cam thing. But um, mostly, it's a username and a password. I mean, is anybody going to dispute me on that one? I'm going to dispute you basically on the fact that it's only the computers. Think about how much legacy hardware there is. Like, old-ass fucking switches and routers that can still be attacked, like the heart bleed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're having the legacy shit that will never get replaced because nobody knows where it all is, for number one. Um, And number two, people are afraid to turn things off because they don't know what it's going to break. You're absolutely right that the legacy infrastructure is, um, is is absolutely a problem. Heartbleed, maybe not so much. Um, but well, that was just an example. <laughs> yeah, no, you. It, it, I, I knew where you were going. Um, the legacy infrastructure is not going to go anywhere anytime soon. In fact, I was talking with our telecom guy at work today, who um, we got swapping phone freaking stories which was great fun. Apparently, um, he was saying that Sprint just brought back up a whole bunch of analog trunks that are just as wide open as they were when they took them offline in the 90s. <laughs> so, Why did they bring them back up? I have no idea. Some, something about, I guess they needed them. 
I mean, a lot of the digital trunking doesn't work with like fax machines, doesn't work with uh, modems. And it could just be that was the infrastructure that was in place. And for one reason or another, they couldn't swap it out. So they ended up having to bring it back up. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like shit like the 2600 Hertz whistle, like Psychros is talking about. I mean, it's like, holy fuck, Captain really? Crunch? Yes. But really? Uh, they, they brought it back? Like, did they not learn their lesson the first time? <laughs> but okay, whatever. So I'm thinking phone freaking might be something worth getting back into again. I haven't messed with it in a long time. But I'm wondering if something like Asterisk on a Raspberry Pi. Um, and <laughs> why not, you know? Fuck. It would be kind yeah. of fun to have the glory days of hacking back. Although it would be totally different landscape. Well, that that's kind of my point. Is I don't think that the glory days ever went away. I think the landscape has changed, and I don't think it ever will go away. Um, you know, I, I just... Ultimately, it comes back to passwords, but it's it's even more simple than that. Um, to make it hard for somebody else to get into your accounts, you have to make it hard for you to get into your accounts, Right. Because for anybody to get into your account, they have to go through the same rigmarole that you do. So the idea is to make it complicated, hard to guess, unique. So, you know, you do things like use goofy passwords that are long and have all kinds of weird finger gymnastics to get it typed. You know, which, you know, means you mistype it three or four times. Um, you Or you try to do some sort of a two-factor thing, which almost, you know, most websites don't support that. You're lucky if your bank does. I, that that still to this day amazes me that Blizzard Entertainment, a video game company, has better security on their on their accounts, and that's only just because they've gotten hacked so often than most banks. Some of those accounts are probably worth tens of thousands. Oh, well, maybe. mine was for a while. Yeah, I don't know. Didn't they make WoW like retardedly easy to level in now? Uh, yeah, when mine was worth thousands, it was back in Burning Crusade when it was still somewhat difficult, mm. and I had the top-end gear and raiding gear. I should have sold it then and bought a car or a house. Yeah, you should have. Shit, dude. <sighs> yeah. I was an idiot and played the video game. But um, my point on that, though, is what do most people do, especially people who don't 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 think about this. They don't care about security. They just want to get in and play their game. They want to get in and use Facebook or whatever, right? They want to so, get into their bank account. Yeah, so Businesses are never going to make it hard because that will hurt their business. Right. So they want, they're going to use stupid passwords. They're going to use usernames that are based off their name or whatever. They're going to use, you know, they're going to answer security questions honestly because who's going to remember the fact that you said your mother's maiden name was, you know, Daft Punk? I mean, <laughs> What's your favorite pizza topping? The answer's blue. I like the topping blue. <laughs> Tastes great, doesn't it? How old are you? The letter Q. I mean, it's just, you know, it just doesn't, you're not going to remember this crap. So you end up writing it down somewhere. Or worse, what most people do, what do they do? They pop open Excel. They punch it out, you know, list of columns with websites, list, you know, another list of columns with the logins and the passwords, and all the questions right there. They save it as passwords.xls right there on the desktop. If you're going to write it down, at least 
keep it off digital space. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I have told people if you have to write your passwords down, like put it in your wallet, you know, keep it someplace, keep it someplace like you treat it like money, basically. Not it, but, post it to your uh, monitor? Yeah, do not post it to your monitor. That's That's probably not a good idea. You still see people do it. My favorite is the people who hide it under their keyboard on a laptop, right? So you sit there and see them walking around the coffee shop. There's their fucking passwords, you know, on on the post-it note that they put an extra piece of tape on on the bottom of their uh, um thing. And, and you know, uh, is bringing up things like LastPass and KeyPass in the chat room. Those are decent solutions. They really are because they let you use better passwords on the individual websites. Most people aren't going to use them. They they just aren't. They don't see it as a problem. They don't care enough to look at it. Oh, it's like, oh, geez, I got to go through something else just to play my game, just to make a forum post, just to look at my porn. I, I, you know, they're not going to do it. I, I, I've spent too long trying to get people to do good security practices, and you just give up, right? At the end of the day, it's like they're just fucking not going to do it. And nobody's going to make them do it. You, you can bash them over the head all day long. Policy says this, you know, do, you, you have to do this, you have to do that. I actually had an end user ask me how many um, how many different passwords our system stored before you know it lost the original one. I told them I told them ninety nine. That's not the truth. The truth was twenty four. But um, and they said okay, cool, thanks. And then I sat there and watched in the logs as they changed their password a hundred times to put it back to what it was. <laughs> what the fuck? Because I told them ninety nine. I wanted to see if they were really going to do it. They did. <laughs> Fuck, man. I mean... <laughs> you know, I'm kind of to the point where if you're going to go to the effort of making a stupid fucking password, like, my bank, my bank password's password one. Fuck you. I hope you get robbed, you dumbass. Well, that, Maybe that's, that's the that's... wrong attitude to have for the whole password security, but really, at this point, I hope you get popped. Well, that's my point, though. That's the thing. They're not going to get in trouble if they pop get popped. They're not. You know, what happens when somebody's credit card gets popped? The bank or the store that was used to, you know, get, do it eats it. You're, you know, you're only liable on the hook for 25 bucks or whatever the limit is. Usually it's not even that. Um, you know, the credit card company takes care of it. And you just, you call them up and say, oh, hey, something's wrong. You call up your bank and say, hey, something's wrong. They figure it out. Oh, your account was hacked. Yeah, we'll take care of that. They treat it like credit fraud. You don't, you, there's no consequence. That's my point. There's no consequence. I've never heard of somebody getting fired from their job because their work password got out and their computers got hacked. Has anybody here, seriously, has anybody ever heard of that? No. Never once. No. Never once. I know of worse instances where people should have gotten fired from stupid practices and it didn't happen. That's my point. There's There's no punishment for bad behavior. Now, if you're if you're going to go through the effort and use the LastPass keypass and encrypt your hard drive, do things properly. Use two-factor authentication if you can. Um, you will, you know, of course, you're a hell of a lot less likely to get popped, right? Um, and if that's the case, awesome, good on you. You do the practices you should. And if you do that, you're in good shape. If, but most people are going to choose not to either out of ignorance or laziness. And these people are going to be stuck at the mercy of whatever system's in place. Right now, the system's pretty damned lenient. 
But imagine the law gets changed tomorrow. Like they want to change out credit cards with chip and pin. Well, my understanding of it is that one of the big, big things about chip and pin is the uh, liability moves from the banks to the cardholder because, um, oh, the bank's done their due diligence. You have to have a pin to make a charge. So obviously, uh, if your pin got stolen, that was on you. I don't think that would last very long, but my understanding was they could do that. So I, I just I, I want to see somebody get fired for letting their password get out, or I want to see a bank say, oh, you got your credit card stolen? Yeah, too fucking bad. But the last few big breaches on credit card information, that wouldn't have stopped. Because Target was storing PIN numbers. Right. I want to see Target you know, have to pay. And I know they, they ended up doing it, but they weren't forced to. They did it for PR. But they, the whole but, chip uh, and pen wouldn't have stopped that. No, it wouldn't have. But that they don't care. But uh, I'm, my point of it is, the point of all this is that there is no consequences for bad behavior other than the embarrassment of, look, somebody, somebody got into your Facebook account and told your parents, you know, I, I don't know, that you were a furry or something. I'm <laughs> I'd be mortified. Like they like found this, out. <laughs> you know, they go, they go and go onto your parents and say, "Here's my Tumblr, mom and dad." <laughs> wow, that's um. I, I, am I am I wrong? Have I misread the situation? Somebody help me out here. No, and it's not always end users. Some websites do stupid limitations on passwords. I know a Absolutely. couple banking websites. You're not allowed to use special characters. Well, I can explain in that uh, one at least. That's because banks don't want to switch to new systems. So all their websites and all their end-user screens are really just fancy front-ends on top of, you know, AS400 systems. Okay, they're not really AS400s. They're power PCs emulating AS400s. But green screen, right? That's, you know, the green screen you've seen in every business. That's what that is. So as opposed to doing the proper work and putting a front-end system on top of or I don't know, upgrading the system they bought in the 70s, uh, they're just patching it all into the existing thing. So their database can't handle a password longer than eight characters or you know, special characters or you know, whatever. So, but the news story, let's, let's get into this. The news story I got that, that really brought me back to this conversation I had with some family about how the problem is really that nobody's ever going to make it hard for themselves and there's no consequences for it. Um, this story's from Ars Technica. Um, there was... Uh, <laughs> well, apparently, one of the, somebody who was considered one of the most wanted hackers by the FBI, uh, when he was arrested in Chicago home in 2012 for hacking the website of security think tank Stratfor, um, Jeremy Hammond was one of the FBI's most wanted cyber criminals. Authorities tracked him down with the help of LulzSec uh, Sabu, and uh, it has never been known how they managed to search his encrypted computer, which he managed to close the lid on his laptop just as agents bust, burst in his door, right? So the Associated Press profile of the 25, 29-year-old's life behind bars provides a possible answer. Hammond's password was Chewy123. Mm. Chewy was the name of his cat. <laughs> so you're saying my passwords are better than the most wanted cyber criminals? Well, if you've been listening to me, they are. <laughs> I don't think there's a legible w word even in any of my passwords, so yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, 
I, I, I do. Uh, Cyclops is saying he makes his computer pain in the ass. I do the same thing. Like all the automatic store your password shit. I'm at work and watching managers do that. And it's like, you know, they just hit the quick key combination. I swear I've seen a VP use auto hotkey to put his password on control F1. And it's like, fuck, really? Uh, it's like, I don't let my browser save shit. It's like, no, uh, uh, nobody's grabbing my laptop and pretending to be me. You've got to know all my passwords. And they're not written down. <laughs> <laughs> so, good luck. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, the shit of, it's it's all set up where they just, you just need their, their computer and you can figure it all out. And, or just stored passwords on the thing, which means if you get into the computer on the back end, you can just dump out the, the databases that store this stuff. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm whinging. I, I don't really have anywhere I'm going with this other than just throwing up my hands and saying, well, it's never going to get fixed, so let's put uh, let's put effort into monitoring and remediation. Well, some of the issues with fixing it aren't that great either. The whole mandatory you have to change your password so many days, that's just asking somebody to write down their password. Absolutely. I would like for my place of employment just to remove the restrictions on passwords. I can come up with an exceptionally long password. It's hard to guess, but it's easy for me to remember. There's a phrase from a book. Phrase, yes. Oh, God. But that's not happening. (laughs) Psychos just said in the chat room we could listen to Stallman and set our password to password. That's retarded in a modern system. When Stallman was doing that, that was because the only people who used the computer were other computer uh, students and scientists. And there was like two of them. So in a modern multi-user system, the existence of malware, the existence of password hacking, the existence of everything that ensures I have a job, I should just go ahead and say that's flat out. Everything, um, I, I know he was being serious at the time, um, but Stallman is nuts. I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant programmer, or at least he used to be. I don't know what he is now. His, his contributions to GPL, fantastic. His original GPL license is great stuff. But the man is a psychopath. I mean, the man is nuts. He's eaten crud off his own feet in a conference. So, I mean, you know, just examine what he says. Take the good and then, like, you know, the, the bad, you know, might want to leave that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the whole concept of just letting anyone in and saying who cares means that you can never do business on computers. That means it can never handle money if you were to follow the Stallman model. Now, in his case, that would make perfect sense because he's a classic hippie and thought money was evil. So. (laughs) (laughs) Or we could just go back to our banks not being on the internet. They did have their own network for a very long time. And I, whereas from a security standpoint, I absolutely agree with you. What bank is going to be the first one to say, yeah, you know what? We know it's convenient as hell, but fuck you. We're taking it off the internet. You can find us on Tor. Like us on Facebook. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, I'm just really bitching. I don't. I don't have a solution. So, 
I, I didn't quite know where I expected this conversation to go. I would just like passphrases and not to have to reset my passwords every 30 damn days. I'm actually doing that at work. I'm, I'm, I'm convincing them to let us do passwords a little bit longer and, uh, you know, set the minimum length to a, a longer thing and explain the idea of a passphrase. Um, I only got about half of that on the first pass. They like the idea of not changing your password as often, but then the rest of it's like, yeah, that's going to confuse people. It's like, what? No, you, you got to do both. Yeah, that's just going to confuse people. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Don't pick and choose. <laughs> we just want to leave the door open. We don't want to actually put a bar across it. BSV, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> How hard is it to remember? Haunted by the ghosts of long dead chocolate chip cookies and all the spaces being dollar signs. Okay, quick, let's check all of his accounts. You're not going to find it, because if I gave it to, to anyone over the internet, I'm not using it. <laughs> That's just a phrase from a book I read that's sticking in my head right now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Let's move on to news stories here, because uh, I, I just sitting here listening to me bitch about it for half an hour is probably getting old. I'm, I mean, you know, we're, I'm repeating myself, which is why I'm trying to dig and see if there's anything else here. So. Anyways, up first story I have is a follow-up on my, you know, PSA, don't use Tor. <laughs> uh, it's from the stack.com. Research undertaken between 2008 and 2014. <laughs> Great. Oh, God. Psychos, I'm not even going to bother explaining what System D is, let alone why I have problems with it. And just for the record, I- I'm not a big fan of it, but if I have to, I will learn to use it, and I'm going to have to. So I just I really wish they would have stuck with the plain text log files. Binary log files suck. Anyways, um, this story is from the Stack Research undertaken between 2008 and 1A14. Suggests that more than 81% of Tor clients can be de-anonymized. Their originating IP address revealed by exploiting the NetFlow technology that Cisco has built into its router protocols and, and similar traffic analysis software running by default in the hardware of other manufacturers. Professor uh, Sambuhudo Chakar... Good Lord. Um, Chakarvrati. I don't intend to butcher the guy's name there. I really don't, but I'm not... I, I don't know how to say it without just calling him Chekhov. Chekhovarti. Uh, uh, <laughs> A yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, a former researcher at Columbia University's Network Security Lab and now researching uh, network and anonymity and privacy at the uh, interest, <laughs> it, it, the the something Institute of Information Technology in Delhi has co-published a series of papers over the last six years outlining the attack vector and claims 100% decloaking success rate under laboratory conditions and 81.4 in the actual wilds of the Tor network. His technique involves, uh, and actually in the show link, he's got the, the, the PDF is right there, so the paper is right there on, in, in the uh, in the uh, thing. So <laughs> Vector is wanting to talk. Vector is uh, something else. What was I seeing? Cycros is wanting to talk uh, Linux there. Um, I think they're going to fork Debian over that too. At least they were looking at it. Uh, the system D stuff. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the guy's technique, and the white paper is right there in the link, involves disturbances in the highly regulated environs of the Onion Router protocol using a modified public Tor server running on Linux, hosted at the time at Columbia University. 
His work on large-scale traffic analysis attacks in the Tor environment has convinced him that a well-resourced organization could achieve extremely high capacity to de-anonymize Tor traffic on an ad hoc basis, but also that one would not necessarily need the resources of a nation-state to do so, stating that a single uh, autonomous system could monitor more than 39% of randomly generated Tor circuits. He says it is not even essential to be a global adversary to launch such traffic analysis attacks. A powerful yet non-global adversary could use uh, traffic analysis methods to determine the various relays participating in Tor circuit and detect and directly monitoring traffic entering the entry node of the victim connection. He's talking about ISPs. Uh, specifically, he's saying ISPs could easily do this. Uh, the technique depends on injecting or repeating traffic patterns such as HTML files, the same kind of traffic which most Tor browsing consists of, into TCP connections that see originating in the target exit node and then comparing the surface exit traffic to the Tor clients as derived from the router flow records to facilitate client identification. Pretty much, it's watching the bounce. So if, if you have the net flow from enough routers and a handful of Tor exit nodes, you can probably figure out where people are coming from by an, an, analyzing net flow and uh, comparing it to what you see leaving the exit nodes. So, yeah. Um, what, what he's basically saying is your ISP can probably figure out um, who, where somebody on tour is coming from. Not necessarily what you're doing specifically if you're on tour, but if you happen to be bouncing out of an exit node on their network, they can probably figure it out. You know, the, and, more, it, the more and more that comes out about tour, the more I kind of wonder if some of this was intentional. Because it was a Navy project, and, you know, maybe they, they built it for their own purposes... But whenever they released it, they thought, you know, there are some things that they don't know about that we can still use. I, I have a feeling what it is, is it's less that they intentionally left problems in it, and more just that because they were developing it as a military project, they discovered what most of the weaknesses would be in the process of developing it, and simply, you know, use them. I, I doubt it was intentional because most software developers do not think that way. You know, they're not sitting there going, okay, I gotta leave a backdoor in so my boss can do this shit. It's like, no, somebody was designing a system and they thought they had it down and there are flaws in it. So, the reason I say don't trust Tor is because it's been so targeted and they've picked it apart so much. You know, it, it's it's sort of like running Windows XP used to be back in the day, Right. Uh, if you wanted to be secure, you didn't use it. Not necessarily because it was any better than anything else. It's just it was so targeted that you couldn't, you know, you couldn't put an unfirewalled XP host on the internet for more than five minutes without it getting pwned. So, you know, when I, when I'm attacking Tor and saying don't use it, I'm not saying that out of any disrespect for the engineering involved or the people running it. I'm saying that because it's so under attack, it's not safe. You know, it's sort of like the same advice of, you probably, you know, it's probably a bad idea to buy real estate in the Gaza Strip. Um, (laughs) I'm making bank off that land investment. (laughs) Only if you made it in the 90s, big. So many shekels. 
But uh, is there a good alternative, or is it just my philosophy of there's so much on the internet, the odds of them seeing what I'm doing is minuscule? Um, that's certainly a factor. I think I'm going to start pushing I2P. I'm, I'm going to start digging more on I2P myself. In fact, when we get to Digital Dojo, one of the links is is relating to I2P. Um, so I'm I'm really am going to start. I, I think I, that's where I'm going to start pushing now. If I remember correctly, getting back to the regular ClearNet from I2P is a pain in the butt. Um, I haven't played with I2P in a while, so. But um, yeah, that's that's where. I think that's where I'm going to start pushing next. The thing is, it's the next logical target. When you know, when I'm saying get you know abandon tour, um, you know I2P is pretty much the next logical target. Sort of like you know, right after they got done beating the crap out of Napster, uh, they went immediately to uh, you know Morpheus and Friendster and and the uh, and the Ganella networks. So, yeah. Um, but like, because you can't get to the regular internet from I two P, I think I, I think it's less likely to be a target. So and and if I remember correctly, some of their uh, some of their scrambling, some of their onion routing was a little bit more uh, more more developed than Tor was. So, like I said, I need to dig into it more myself. That's why one of the digital dojo links is is uh, rather basic on the side of I two P. It's because I was looking to get into it myself. Um. Oh, Psychoros is telling me they're using DHT. So cool, cool. That's uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Uh, distributed hash tables. That's what BitTorrent uses to find hosts as well. And that's interesting because those are notoriously difficult to shut down. So I, I need, like I said, I need to dig into it more myself. Uh, next story up. This one is from Forbes and is um, it, it's up there with Facebook opening up. You know, a dot .onion address. <laughs> um, Microsoft has announced that it plans to open source most of the full server-side .NET Core stack, beginning with the next version. Uh, note, this does not include the client-side .NET. The .NET framework is so like ASP.NET. They're open sourcing it. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I don't think anybody uses... Well, that's not yes. true. People do use it. We but, do. Yeah, they're open sourcing it. Uh, the .NET framework is an incredibly important programming language. While looking at young startups, one might be forgiven for thinking that newer, more agile languages had removed the validity of old Star Wars like .NET. The truth is very different. There are many huge enterprises out there that run the bulk of their enterprise applications on .NET, and those organizations aren't moving away anytime soon. Microsoft.NET has, or had, however, lost a degree of credibility among the indie developer set, and hence... This move looks more like an attempt to reinvigorate .NET among these folks. A reported 6 million developers build on top of .NET framework, but Microsoft's corporate VP of the developer division, Sonia um, Somesker, believes that open-sourcing .NET will be the way to move the framework forward. The open-source.NET will be broadened to run on both Linux and Mac OS X. Microsoft is planning on working with the uh, Zarman-sponsored Mono community, which already produces a cross-platform open-source.NET framework. Uh, interestingly, this is... Uh, oh, the, the author is inserting his opinion that he thinks Microsoft is going to buy Zaman out. Uh, this move plays into many different hands... It both opens .NET up to more developers, but also across more partnerships. Two examples, Microsoft Cloud uh, czar Scott Guthrie admitted that often, micro, or often 
that often tell Microsoft that while they like .NET, uh, many don't use it because it's closed source and only supports Windows. After this move, this reason not to use it has disappeared and even plays into the hands of uh, exciting Docker space. Uh, oh, that's okay. Yeah, because Microsoft is going to be supporting Docker as well on uh, Azure. So it's interesting because they're they're going to work with Mono and and open source all the server .NET's code, which means you should be able to run your .NET server side apps on Linux boxes. Which I think means Microsoft is kind of admitting that they're losing the uh, the cloud um, server space. Because almost everybody's running a Linux base of one sort or another uh, for web servers and application servers these days. But um, yeah, I, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I'm not really sure what to make of it. And it is just the server side; it's not client side. So no XNA. You're not going to see .NET applications running natively on Linux. Although I imagine it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to figure out. Uh, you know, some trickery with Wine to get the parts they didn't uh, open source to run as well. But that that's that's not why people are excited. By open sourcing it, they actually, you know, open up modifications. Here's the real question. Are they going to accept uh, people submitting patches? That would be cool. More people yeah. working on it would make it more secure, more stable probably. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've dabbled in it before. The .NET. .NET as a language, you know, based on, you know, C-sharp stuff is pretty, pretty easy to write in, really. It's a decent library, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, there's some functions for damn near anything you want to do. A bit of a side tangent. My boss fucking loves Microsoft. He is the biggest Microsoft fanboy I've ever met. And today, he went off on a tirade about how this open sourcing of .NET framework will kill us because open source is the devil. I have to bite my tongue really hard. I don't know if it's open source. They might actually get more of the server market. That's what really pushed Linux, isn't it? Is that it was free for everyone to use, so I might as well use it? Well, that's part of it. The other part of it was um, it's it's very easy to build custom applications and custom systems on top of Linux. And because it is free... If I need to spin up a, a you say a five cluster, uh, or five node cluster, I don't have to buy five licenses. I just just do it, just run it, right? Whereas in Microsoft, if I need a five node cluster, I have to buy five Windows Server licenses. Now they've got Azure, which is their their freebie program for running web applications, so. That's not as true as it used to be. But for the most part, to do anything with Windows, I mean, Microsoft has forever said that, yeah, you have to buy a license for every copy of Windows you're running in your environment. That includes your virtual machines and your QA environment. So if if you know if you're doing the traditional tri- three-tier stack that most software developers run, you have your dev, you know, your actual labs where people are writing new code, you have your QA, where you're running your production code or the next version of your production code to test it and make sure that it works, and then you have your prod boxes. So a traditional software shop is going to have three sets of servers. And generally, if you're doing it correctly, you have three identical sets of servers. So if you're running Windows Server, you have to buy your license three times for each system. 
Whereas if you're running Linux, you just you just spin it up and run it. So, I mean, um, it's well, it's. Am I understanding with this open sourcing of their server side, you wouldn't have that problem anymore, would you? No, you. Or is just it not run, that open just, source? But no, it it is. You they're saying that you can run their .NET code on Linux, so or OSX for that matter. But that means that that whole problem I just described, if you're doing nothing but .NET code, means that absolutely you can just spin it up on you know, your front end on Linux machines and spin up as many clusters as you need. So if you're doing something like a, like a web-based application, say, out of Amazon's uh, cloud offering, uh, you could just, you know, AWS, you just spin up as many copies as you need, deploy your .NET application front end to it, and if you're still doing something like an MSSQL backend, because .NET has really good hooks in for a lot of the other Microsoft technologies, so maybe you're running Active Directory and MSSQL for your backend LDAP and data storage, you can still hit those with the .NET framework. So I can see a lot of benefits for doing this because it lets you mix up your environment. And again, by open sourcing it, you can let your developers really go in and understand the code and it gives you a, a serious business alternative to Java, <laughs> which I think is kind of cool. So. I kind of see a problem with this, though. I can see it where Microsoft maintains the open source version of .NET for Windows, and they have kind of a side relationship to the one on Linux and Mac, but it's mostly community-based. So... I don't think it's going to be as stable or as compatible as regular .NET oh. on Windows will be. Oh, early on, absolutely. I don't and see that don't... really changing a whole lot. It might get closer, but I don't think it's ever going to reach zero. You know what I mean? Well, I can see that. The thing I'm wondering about, I haven't seen what license they plan on releasing it under. They're just saying open source. Well, there's several open source licenses. So which one are they going to use? They're not going to do it. GPU. I, I can't. I cannot see Microsoft ever releasing anything under the the GNU license. I seriously doubt they'd use a BSD. I could see them doing some of the Apache licenses, but um, it's Microsoft, so they'll probably write their own, which means it's, it'll be an incomprehensible mess. <laughs> so I don't know that this is going to have the effect they want of getting more people running .NET. Because I, I think what the move is, it's it's to keep people using a Windows platform. So, um, yeah, because I, I I see a lot of people moving away from it. Um, where I work, we have a crap ton of devs, and almost all of them are running a, a Linux desktop of one sort or another because it's actually easier and performance-wise better for them to run Linux to write well, mostly P, uh, Perl and Java code. But, um, you know, they're, you know, it's not, they're not using trendy languages either, either. So the article was all like, oh, yeah, everybody's using, you know, Go and Ruby and all these new, and Ruby's not really one of them, but, you know, trendy hot languages, you know, Rails and all this other shit. And it's like... Rails is a not, framework, not a language. <sighs> Let's, let's let's not go there. Let's really not go there. But you know, they're they're talking about what's hip, new, and trendy, and I think it's more just a, a lot of developers. If they're not writing, if if you're not being very Microsoft specific, meaning .NET code, Windows servers, MSSQL databases, 
the most part, it's easier to use a Linux-based system to code on because all the tools are just there. You just go get them. And it's a lot cleaner. It's a lot you know, slimmer. You can build a very general-purpose... Your average Linux desktop distro is, is pretty bloated, but if you go to a server install where all you install is the core and some user land tools, you're going to get a very tiny, very fast system because there's nothing else running on it, and you can build out only what you need. In fact, with a lot of the new Docker stuff coming out, what you're going to start seeing is people who run their Linux systems a lot more like you see people running, say, ESXi systems where there's almost nothing in the in the mainline box. It's all Docker containers and shit like that. So, um, I think we got sidetracked. So I think it's interesting. I think it's a good business strategy to get more people coding on it, even if you're not charging them for those tools. If they're putting stuff out, that just gives you more reason to sell all the other things that you're actually charging money for. Or more of a market to sell them in. I agree. I also think I think it's kind of a move to help sell Visual Studio licenses because Visual Studio is still going to be the tool for writing .NET code, which means you're still going to be living on a Windows desktop to run it. You're just going to happen to be able to push code to your servers, which will be, you know, whatever OS. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. All right, let's uh, let's do this next one. This is from thedailydoc.com. Last week, American and European law enforcement triumphantly took control of 27 darknet websites and the highly publicized Operation Ominous, a campaign with a horrible name against a wide variety of Tor-hidden services and their operators, including the, the uh, Silk Road 2.0 and its alleged boss, 26-year-old Blake uh, Benthal. Now, the new owners of one of the seized hidden websites have taken their website back from the police. <laughs> <laughs> the re-seized hidden service DocsBin is fully operational as of 1 p.m. Eastern Time. DocsBin is a website dedicated to hosting tens of thousands of records containing sensitive information about private individuals, such as addresses, phone numbers, and social security numbers. It made headlines numerous times, most notably when the judge of the in the trial of the original Silk Road, which was shuttered by the FBI last year, was threatened on the site, and her address, phone number, and personal details made public. <laughs> While police took control of the sites, the actual owners remained free in speaking out in public. Earlier this weekend, they released the aggregated log reports to the public in hopes that observers could identify the weakness that police used to seize the hidden service. Now, Doxman's uh, previous owners have handed off control of their website to an interested party who has reseized the website and added at least three .onion addresses that direct to it, according to records at the hidden service search engine ahmia.fi. Anybody want to take a stab at pronouncing that one? Ahimafi. <laughs> Moreover, the new owners have created a brand new .onion address in order to prevent police from reseizing the domain. Uh, anyone can currently access the previously seized addresses, and the third .onion has been added. Uh, while the backbone required to take the website back from the police has been applauded by some observers, reseizing the website isn't necessarily challenging from a technical perspective. A .onion address is simply a hash of a private key used to control the domain. 
the previous owners handed the key off, so both the police and the new owners can basically kind of fight over it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I like the reason I really like this story is because the uh, people running the site released the logs, and that that's going to help the tour guys out figure out just how exactly they went about identifying so many servers at once. So, hopefully that helps them to improve it again. Like I said, the thing's under attack right now. If it keeps up like this, like in ten years, if they keep developing on it, it probably really will be the most secure thing in the world to use. <laughs> but. Uh, Right now, man, I don't know. So, but does it have kill anything? it only serves to make it stranger? Yeah, I think that's <laughs> about right. <laughs> In ten years, we'll have a trust tour, though. Probably not. Let's uh, see. Oh, I'm wondering what it. they're using to seize the domains. Like, what probable cause they have. I, they, I know it doesn't list what all domains they've seized. Uh, in this case, it's, I think, we fucking want to. Seems to be their standard rule of what <laughs> Fuck they you, do I'm for... a bus, is, is pretty much what it is. <laughs> <laughs> no one will get that reference. The police bus cometh. Uh, for anybody wondering, we watched a compilation video of, of uh, crashes, mostly out of Russia, and there were quite a few amusing videos of buses just plowing through shit. <laughs> so... Fuck you, I'm a bus. <laughs> well, that one took out like four cars. That was amazing. <laughs> and it kept going. It did keep going. Yeah, that's what they were saying, is that they're hashes. So, um, All right, next story up is from the Singularity Hub. Psychros actually sent me this story. Video games encourage violent behavior. They're a symptom of our culture's collective of obsession and neuroses. A sign we have too much time on our hands. You've likely heard a rant like this from Jack Thompson. Video games can't be good for you. Uh, but Adam Gasly, a US, or UCF, UCSF cognitive neuroscientist, isn't so sure. An avid gamer, uh, Gasly thinks specially designed video games paired with neural feedback might one day be prescribed to improve brain health and performance. Um <laughs> That's just a fun mental concept. I, I, how cyberpunk is that? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to need you to play four hours of Doom a day. <laughs> you seem stressed. <laughs> Have they looked at FBI statistics? We are less violent today than we were in the fucking 80s. Well, the, now I've got better graphics when I blow up a zombie. They're, they're not making that argument. They were being facetious to open it up with. Okay. Uh, in, in the next decade, Grassley told the... Uh, an audience at Singularity's Universal Exponent Medicine, we might use video games to decrease dependence on drugs and strengthen healthy brains, making them more resilient to problems down the road. Gasly wants to make an engine of change in the brain. His fear, neuroplasticity, or the brain's ability to rewrite neural pathways in response to stimulus. Gasly and his teammate UCSF set out to see if they could make, test, and measure a tailored video game system that leverages neuroplasticity to achieve a specific positive change in the brain. Gasly said, even though we all think we're great multitaskers, none of us are. But young brains are better at it than old brains. Working with LucasArts, the team developed the video game NeuroRacer to measure this difference and then via repeated play, see how much older gamers could improve multitasking, uh, their multitasking abilities. Uh, to a gamer, Neural Racer wouldn't elicit much excitement. It's a basic driving game. 
as the user navigates a hilly roads, twists and turns with their left left son left thumb. Signs pop up, and if they're of a certain color, they need to be shot down with their right finger. This isn't a game that the game itself that's extraordinary. It's how the game changed the brains of those playing it. Measured brain activity in the prefrontal cortex via EEG and MRI confirmed superior abilities in younger participants. But in a four-year study, the team found that four weeks of gameplay vastly improved older folks' abilities. In fact, they even exceeded their younger peers. Further, the game improved other cognitive function like working memory and attention span, and their improvements stuck around for as long as six months without further intervention. So it sounds like they're playing a different version of Carmageddon. <laughs> <laughs> and it made their brains better. Does this mean someday in the future we can play games that might give us psychic powers? I like this concept. I, I'd like to read your book now. <laughs> Do you have a pamphlet I could subscribe to? This is very familiar, though. There's um, Lumosity, or whatever the fuck it is, that claims the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, They're pretty much applying know. stuff that we already know to video mm-hmm. games. Any type of game that works your brain, it's one reason old people should play Scrabble. But any multitasking game, whether it's digital or the old-fashioned board games, if you keep doing stuff that works your brain, you get to keep your brain functioning longer. Well, I, it, it's interesting, and you're right, because I've, I have I remember uh, seeing a couple stories, studies a while back that were showing that video games were actually making us less violent because it was giving people a way to blow off steam that ultimately was harmless. You know, you can blow up as many aliens or you know other people in a video game as you as you want. Who have you really hurt? Well, maybe your controller, depending on how frustrated you got. But don't forget <laughs> your thumbs. Yeah, well, your thumbs could hurt too. I have broke but... many controller playing Street Fighter. <laughs> Fuck you and Bison. BSV, don't you have like one of the competition arcade sticks for Street Fighter or something like that? Yeah, I. Yeah. Resist the urge of throwing that, mainly because <laughs> I fear it will destroy the wall, but... I see, I need to order one of those and stick a Raspi in it with a MAME emulator. Ooh. <laughs> so. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen the same studies that Madman was starting to really get, get upset about, that, you know, statistically violence is down, and a lot of studies have shown that uh, video games are actually healthy because it gives you a way to de-stress and, and you know, deal with uh, aggression without actually physically harming someone. There hasn't been anything proving that video games are good or bad, but if you just look at the stats released by the FBI every year, we're shooting fewer people. Yes. Well, the civilians are. I think the cop shootings are up. Uh, I wasn't counting those, but I guess we could count those too. But I'm thinking even if you include those, overall, people being shot to death, is going down, or stabbed, murdered, however you want to limit the uh, list they're being dead. We're still covering it because whenever you shoot up a school, you're going to make the news and everyone's going to watch your TV show. But yeah. there are fewer people being murdered. Let's see, I just saw the clock. We're almost at an hour. I guess we spent longer on the discussion than I thought. Uh, let's see, anybody want to do the polygraph owner accused of uh, training... Or the the guy who owned Polygraph.com being charged because he was teaching people how to beat a polygraph test. What the fuck are they charging him with? 
Okay, we're doing that story then. <laughs> it's it's from Ars Technica. A former former Oklahoma City police officer was indicted Thursday on accusations of teaching people to cheat on lie detector tests. The government announced Friday. The 69-year-old Norman Oklahoma man is the owner of Polygraph.com and charged customers thousands of dollars for instructions on how to beat lie detector tests administered for federal employment suitability assessments, federal security background investigations, and internal federal agency investigations court documents show. Polygraph machines, admitted in 1921, are notoriously unreliable, and evidence from them is rarely admitted in court. Online talk about how they can beat is not unusual, and he's even been discussed in the R's forums. Prosecutions of this type are rare. One of the last ones occurred in 2013 when Indian or Indiana man Chad Dixon was imprisoned for similar accusations of coaching federal employee applicants, including intelligence community prospective employees, to beat lie detector. Dixon, 35, was sentenced to eight months in prison in, in, in connection to accusations that the sentencing or in connection to the accusations that the sentencing judge acknowledged to be a gray area of First Amendment speech and of crime teaching, and, and, and the crime of teaching somebody to lie on a government polygraph. So it's it's a crime to teach somebody to lie on a government polygraph. Can't uh, share the information. Williams there. did not immediately respond to comment, but on a YouTube video posted on Polygraph.com site, he tells prospective customers that I can teach you how to pass, nervous or not, no matter what. He also says, remember, failing to prepare is simply preparing to fail. The indictment said that during a telephone call with an undercover federal agent, Williams said, I haven't lived this long and fucked the government this long without a and done such a controversial thing that I do this for long that I got away with it without any trouble whatsoever long by being a dumbass. Uh, according to court documents, the authority said he also told an undercover agent last year, I've shot a lot of these guys. In fact, there's a lot of government agents, FBI, Secret Service, NSA, all those alphabet agencies that have already retired that I taught years ago, and I know what I'm doing. You will pass with no problem. So he's being charged with uh, teaching people to lie in federal government assessments. He's really teaching them how to pass a polygraph. It's, he's not teaching them to lie. One reason polygraphs suck is they don't measure whether you're being truthful. They're measuring whether or not you're being stressed out. They assume that if you're being stre- if you're stressed over something, you're lying about it. Could just be stressed because you're in a government building strapped to a machine surrounded by people with guns. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not going to say these things aren't being used for or even correctly employed by the government, but if you're just learning this is how you deal with a polygraph or this is how you deal with a stressful situation, the government will need to find a new tool, but you can't fuck somebody over because they're teaching people how to get a job. Well, they're charging them with fucking the government over. So, Well, the alphabet soup agency that's hiring people just needs to do better background checks. My <laughs> so, so I didn't quite hear. Oh, but so is the actual thing they're charging him with, or is it just we don't like what you're doing? We're charging you with that. Call him A, call him B. They're trying to say that he's teaching people to lie to the government, but like I said, the polygraph—you're technically not teaching someone to lie when you're teaching them to beat a polygraph. You're teaching someone how to. Not get overworked in a stressful situation, or how to control themselves in a stressful situation. 
These are good things to know if you're working for the FBI. You don't get overly stressed at Waco and accidentally douse some people with gasoline and set them on fire. That's a standard. (laughs) Man, man, that's a standard response for stress. All right. Uh, Let's see. Next story here. This is from IT Governance USA. It's been revealed that hackers recently invaded the U.S. weather network, causing an outage of satellite feeds and several websites. The mystery of why satellite data was temporarily unavailable through the um, uh, National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, in October has now been discovered. What was first called unscheduled maintenance was, in fact, the government shutting down some of its services. NOAA spokesman Scott Smolin made a po- uh, point that the attack did not prevent us from delivering forecasts to the public. Yeah, we couldn't read the satellites, but we could still predict the weather. Okay. Dur- <coughs> Excuse me. Dur- that just uh, proves what I've always thought. The weather guy is just like me. He looks out the fucking window. <laughs> no, they use a doubt uh, with... Well, bird with random weather conditions on it, too. Weatherman's the only job where you can be wrong 100% of the time and not get fired. Uh, details of the attack are scarce, so it's unclear what damage, if any, was caused by the hack. The U.S. military, businesses, and local governments all have a heavy dependency on reports from the U.S. Weather Service, meaning that hackers manage to penetrate a vital aspect of U.S. infrastructure. Scientists at Atmospheric and Environmental Research in Lexington, Massachusetts, were unable to send a preliminary report about weather patterns to traders and investors earlier this year. We were shut out entirely. That's our one source of data. The one source of data. Maybe we ought to have more than one, just a thought. Uh, said Rutgers climatologist David Robinson, whose global snow lab also relies on the satellite data. So, uh, and there's been other stories that uh, a lot of people now think it had something to do with uh, uh, Russia. And I've also heard China. So, yeah, I don't know. Noah got hacked. It's interesting because I, I'm not surprised because it is such a widely used service that there's probably all kinds of ways in and out to get the data. So it's not all that surprising that somebody hacked Noah. But at the same time, that's that is kind of a big deal because that that's one of the that is a big government service that a lot of people use. So, anybody care? No. Yeah. I think nothing of value was lost. <laughs> All right. Uh, last story, which actually I'm going to skip it and roll it into a pre-decking uh, story I have. So uh, pretty much just a summary real quick. It's from our technical article. The feds are running uh, fake cell phone towers on top of drones. They call them dirt boxes. And pretty much it's a drone that acts like a cell phone tower, and they use it to collect IMEIs as well as location data and other things like that. So it's the same fake cell tower bullshit, except now they've built it into a drone and just fly them around as opposed to you know, having a mini tower on a truck or something. So it's <laughs> time, time for this. So, coming right off that story is um, this really fun GitHub project. It's the Android IMSI Catcher Detector. (laughs) 
Android. It's an Android-based project to detect and avoid fake base stations, the ISMI catchers, in GSM and UMTS networks. Now, if you go to this guy's page, he actually has... Uh, he flat out, flat out right there at the top of the page. The application is not ready. It's early alpha. And the builds are failing right now. Um, it's not ready. This is a page to watch, though, because they have an amazing amount of information about ISMI catchers on the page, explaining them. They got pictures of them, how they work, my, why why criminals and the police are running them. So, this is less a go grab this tool and run it, and more just keep an eye on it because when it's ready, it is something you're going to want to have handy because it's going to be one of those things. Of, oh, my phone says there's not an ISMI catcher in the area. Yeah, watch me just turn everything off and throw it in the Faraday bag. So, <laughs> um, actually, the page goes into detail talking about how uh, you know if you're going to go do anything, you probably just leave you leave your home at, phone at home or at least put it in a uh, uh, you know Faraday bag. So it's like. <laughs> It's like really wow, <laughs> but the the page is actually a really good one to watch for this kind of stuff. And when the application is ready, it's going to be fantastic. Did, did anyone remember when the the days of a warrant? Yeah, that's inconvenient. <laughs> what is that? That that's but, something we used to use before we were in a police state, big. But madman, we're supposed to trust the police and let them. Search all our stuff <laughs> and just smile happily. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sir, we're charging your money with um, with a crime and confiscating it. Um. <laughs> oh, God. $900 million. So, people, make sure your money has an alibi. So, um, our, our potential uh, head of justice. I- did I make a mistake by bringing up civil forfeiture in, in relation to this? <laughs> yes. She bragged about seizing $900 million. Without Go watch the John Oliver skit on it. He does a good job. Margarita machines. <laughs> My money needs a fucking alibi. <laughs> no, I need an alibi when I stab your... Bitch ass in the face for taking my money. <laughs> yeah, they're not pennies from heaven. They're pennies from the people you're holding upside down and shaking. Um, all right. Uh, last thing I have is from thetinhat.com. I love that domain. I love that domain. I'm uh, there right now. <laughs> thetinhat.com slash tutorials slash darknets slash i2p.htm. This is a good beginner's guide to I2P. Very good write-up on getting started. Uh, links to all the software you need. Examples of how to set it up. Um, some good ideas about use, setting up a completely separate web browser to use with I2P. Some places to get started on using uh, IRC and torrents and the mail program on I2P. So... If you're looking to get into I2P in a darknet, and because I'm saying stay away from Tor, this is the alternative I'm going to say I need to look into. So, um, this is this is where we're going to go with it from now on. I think, or at least for now, until this one starts to become, uh, you know, saturated and attacked, and at that point we'll pick something else to bounce to. But uh, for now, this is what I'm going to say to use instead of Tor. 
Um, apparently, there are a couple of I2P distributions like Tails, but um, it's like um, the I2 Predator or something like that distro. And uh, from what I've understood, those those distros are horribly out of date, so they should not be used. So if you are going to use I2P, I, the best advice right now was to build it from the ground up on a modern system. But um, I, I like Tails had it built in, and there were some other Linux distros built around using it, but apparently they're all way out of date. So if you are going to use it, you just want to follow this guide and set up a system to do it. I do recommend a Linux system over a Windows system just because uh, Linux does have proper user permissions, so you're a lot less likely to get any malware running on your system. And um, if you can run live CDs for shit, that's probably the best way to go. But if not, don't you know? I wouldn't get too bent out of shape about it. I would sandbox it as much as you could. You know, grab an old netbook or an old laptop. Use that. Don't use your main rig. Any you know, same rules apply to any darknet, right? You don't want, you don't want just don't want to risk anything getting into your system. So, uh, anyways, um, again, that's a good guide. That's that's really all I've got. Has anybody got anything they want to tack on here before I close stuff out? Not really. Okay. Cool. I think uh, we're good. I think we're good too. Of course, listen to the stream. We're always working on it. Pure decking every Thursday. Um, I, are they're doing? Uh, oh, they're not doing missing dialogues anymore. What's Lord doing now? Um, besides drunken anime plot, um, um, I know he's doing it on Tuesdays, and it's not live. At least it wasn't live last Tuesday. Well, it wasn't live because um, something had gone wrong with the broadcast box while I was, uh, you know, burnt out, and I didn't know that. Nobody told me that anything was wrong with the broadcast box, so I didn't fix it. And uh, when I started doing decking again, I realized, oh, wow, this thing has uh, got some problems. So I fixed it, and I, Lord knows. So I think it's going to start being live again. Um, it, it's it's, it's going to be his new show again, I think. I, I'm blanking on what it's called, and I feel bad. <laughs> I should know what his new show is called. It's not Reality Bites, is it? Yes, it might it's be Reality, reality Bites. Bites. So I think he's back doing that one now instead of missing. So my show notes are out of date. Uh, of course, the Galaxy 15 radio site, the Twitter handle, the feedback form, the subreddit. Uh, it, we are looking to start doing a markets for T-shirts and shit like that. Less because I want to make money and more because I just think it would be badass to see people walking around wearing not a fuckwit T-shirts. As well as other fun concepts that come from the show. So... Well, it's good to know who's not a fuckwit. You know, uh, labels are helpful. If Batman, ta- if Batman has taught us anything, everything should be labeled. And shark repellent will actually cause the shark to explode. <laughs> you are about to experience a brief simulation of a psychotic episode in a patient with schizophrenia. <laughs> Shouldn't the warning be before instead of after? Not if you have schizophrenia. <laughs> PSV, I forgot to tell you, that angry orchard you've been drinking, I spiked you with LSD. Have fun. Great. That means I still have quite a few bottles left of LSD. It's okay, BSV. You're just experiencing time in the wrong order. Are we doing consecutive moments of now again? It's 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 a form of aphasia, don't worry about it. It's totally normal. Big I'm just 
I'll have to consult with you after the show just to make sure how many bottles it's safe to drink in one sit in the since. Yeah, it's uh, probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely none. Don't drink this. The label says don't fucking drink this. So. <laughs> I'm closing this shit out. <laughs>